0: Blog Talk Radio. Corner American Tennis, and introducing in the blue corner your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Creasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it is be back i had a much needed rest dang i got to go fishing uh last weekend up in the mountains of south carolina uh, we caught nine beautiful trout seven rainbows two brown trout and what a good time wading that river up there that Chatuga river it was fantastic folks and probably nothing i'd like to do better in my whole life than to get out on that river had a wonderful time, and but I'm rested back now and ready to go, getting ready to head into the summer, and we'll talk more. But this will be my last summer of doing tennis camps uh, for youngsters after 43 summers. Let's see. That's right, 1976. This will be camp number 43, 43 summers of doing summer tennis camps, and this will be it. I'll be in Sumter, South Carolina in July. Folks, look for in Cookville, Tennessee, also in July. We're moving that uh, June camp to uh, July just because of the logistics of when, how early they're starting school now up there in Tennessee. It's really something. But anyhow, this Coach Chuck Creasy, I I want to um, have a great show today. I've been thinking long and hard, and so many things have happened I had time to digest the season and all that we do during that very hectic four-and-a-half months of training and work and all that you do, not to speak of the fall in a very competitive environment. And uh, uh, the, the NCAA tournament will be at Wake Forest this year, coming up in about two weekends, I believe. Uh, this next weekend is all the regionals. Congratulations to teams like South Carolina that are re- by the local here, Coach Josh Coffey. I'm going to quote him today, so uh, I wanted to, you know, bring his name up and, and just a fantastic job with uh, with University of South Carolina and all the other teams. And let's see, North Carolina is there, Wake Forest is there, and we've got many SEC and ACC teams competing, so it should be a good one. And but I want to talk today. I want to get set up, and because I've got so much to talk about, but I, I the the name of the program today is your the quips the yarns and the stories that you need to tell you know and talk to youngsters that compete and um i wanted to start out by just tell a little bit of story about myself i i think back so often i have uh loaded languages uh that i will it'll come up after 50 years whether you know i can remember off the top tu- <clears throat> oh excuse me top of our heads we can remember the ipana toothpaste commercial or the jingle about you know i think pepsi cola hits the spot 12 full ounces that's a lot twice as much for a nickel too pepsi cola is come on now folks As 1950 something now how in the world can we remember this loaded language as i call it and i um my good friend uh up in coach alex up there in uh uh, Pittsburgh uh, Pittsburgh area up in Pennsylvania. He sent me, he, he said he's listened to my program a lot, and he sent me probably, folks, over, oh gosh, I'm looking at him here, probably 125 or 130 uh, sayings that I have that I've always used. He calls them creasyisms. Well, I don't know what they are there. So whether it's, uh, you know, uh, fool's gold or or food for fools or if it's just uh good stuff, but I've u- always used loaded language. I've always used loaded language, but more than that, more than loaded language, I realized a long time ago, and I've always known this that I remember very few things about what I hear. Visually i'm I, like most athletes, people who are visual get into sports. Your child, if they're in sports or if you're an athlete, you're in sports, usually you were very good visually, maybe not auditorially. We don't remember that much about what we what we hear. And uh, so the thing is now, and, and you join, jump in and, and just realize that the Internet and what's gone on with the Internet and all the facts, it's it's not what they hear. It's not even what you see it's uh i've got a story this morning i was telling a, a parent it's not what you eat it's what you digest i think they were talking about all the things their children are exposed to and everything that they learn but it's not what you eat it's what you digest it's what you learn it's what you experience it's what what continues on with you now many times i have been a very, very, uh, you know, I've been very critical of the internet in that I say it's a, you know, it's a tool that is a blessing and a curse because all of the facts that we get, yes, it's nice to be able to look something up, but facts and everything that's coming at us, when we try to find out what the truth is and what actually works and what actually is right. It's like drinking water out of a fire hose. We don't know what to drink and what to spit out. We don't know what is fresh water. We don't know what is poison. and That's, that's the, damage, or the danger in the fact that we get so much given to us. Now, think about how we used to get our, our facts and our information. We used to get our facts and our information uh, from loved ones, from learned people around us, whether it's a teacher, a clergyman, a coach, someone that we respected and honored and we you know, but the lessons were much, much deeper than just if his tennis hit how to hit a forehand, how to hit a backhand, how to hold the racket. And baseball is much more than just how to fill the ground or how to throw out somebody at first base. It was much deeper than that. The reason that it was much deeper from all the experiences that we had as an athlete or as a student, or in in any learning environment, the the things that were much deeper were the lessons that were learned that were very, very hard-earned through the hard road. Um, When I was thinking about the program today, I was thinking about doing how much about the hard road versus the easy road. You've heard me so many times say that the – Easy things to pick up Become the easy things to put down The hard things to pick up Are the hard things to put down And week after week On our program You've heard me say probably The mistake that the USTA Makes, that the stake that our governing Body makes, the state, mistake A lot of our leaders make I'm seeing at every level At at the academic level At the college level At athletic level At whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's so many things, we technology set up to make things easier. Making things easier does not make them better. It might be easier to get facts. It might be easier to get an answer. But again, it's like drinking water out of a fire hose. It easily melts away. Very few things stay that are not ingrained in a message that is lasting some years ago I had a mother I've talked about her so often but she'd been gone since 80 golly 87 I think 87 88 it's terrible it's been already 30 years but I remember talking to her about coaching my early days of coaching I used to say we do this for them we tell them this we tell them that it doesn't stick even back then I would talk about the students or the players and 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 it's a parable. It's a parable that's in the Bible, actually. But she used to say, look, you can plant the best seeds in the dead of winter. They're not going to grow. You can plant the best seeds in the hottest part of the summer. They're not going to grow without enough water, not enough nurturing. First of all, you have to wait till the soil is right in the spring of the year until that child's mind is ready to receive that seed. You might give them the same message a hundred times in a row, but they don't, until their mind is ready to receive that seed, it will not grow. So you can put this to um, a lot of different, you can make this message in a lot of different forms. Well, when is the seed, when is the soil ready? Well, the soil of their mind is ready when it's warm and when it has been plowed and when it has been, whether it's fertilized or when it's, when in all of the things that need to seed to be ready, well, that's all done through the child's hard work. So usually when the child is worked hard enough and they're starving for the answers, that's when the messages pass from one level, from the teacher to the student, from the parent to the child to the coach to the player, this is when the messages happen. They don't happen until the soil is ready to receive them. Now, I'm not telling any of you anything you don't already know, but I want to go a step further and, and say that maybe our generation of kids right now, it's not quite enough just to let them know what the message is, to wait to the spring of the year, to wait to where they've hungered enough for it. Um, listen, I, I, I wanted you... To Please go out and buy that book, The Talent Code I don't know if that guy's going to give me a commission I've pushed that book so much By Daniel Coyle In the first chapter he talks about How the myelin tissue of the brain works And how people learn They only learn when there's a struggle And when they seek the answers And he said, tragically us in America as teachers, we bring the kids answers like a waiter in the restaurant brings the food in the menu. We act as waiters, bringing just waiting for our children uh, to uh, they need this, they need that, and we get it for them. And it's more than just spoiling them; they we deaden their hunger for for what they're going after. And now, all of us are afraid as parents. We, we hope and we wish our children do not take out their appetites and their energy with all of the things that are out there, all of the bad things that are out there on the Internet, and all of the things that all of us are fighting. I've got six children. I've got three, three still that we're raising right now. And the, the point is, is, oh, my golly, we sit back and we just pray and we hope and we keep our fingers crossed that please hunger for the right things, hunger for the truth. Hunger for those things that will last with you for a lifetime. Hunger for this. Hunger, and and we all are in the same place. And yeah, I, I remembered so many things just by a few little quips, a few yarns, a few loaded languages, uh, and uh, you know, it, and, and they fit together in our generation. But I think the kids now need a little bit more. So I I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about. The use of stories and the use of, of, you want to call them parables? You want to call them parable stories? But the messages that we send, maybe we need to always add a story along with it. And I'm going to start, before I go to break in a commercial here, I'm going to start with um, something that really happened this spring to my tennis team. We were uh, up at the University of South Carolina playing South Carolina, and, and we, we played him a doubleheader, and uh, Josh Goffey, Coach Goffey, was one of my former players uh, back at, you know, and I'm so proud of the job that he's doing. I'm so proud of the, the, the coaches, those that I have helped mentor that are out there coaching now. But after the day was over, I asked Coach if he would come and talk to the players now, he started out with a story, and he had, not just because he was coach of a top 20 team and their team had just uh, whipped us pretty good, his words were wise, his words were direct, his words were taken in, but he used a great story, and here was the story he he talked about, and uh, it just fed it right into what I was happy that he talked about, and it turned over towards, uh, you know, the technology and the damage that is being done. But here's what he said. He says, okay, guys, he said, you you have a lot of potential there. Some of it has not been realized yet. You probably have got a, a much greater distance than you can go than what you believe in, what you can give yourself credit for. But he said, let me tell you a quick story about myself. He said, when I play as a sophomore at clemson and coach that was me i was sitting there listening i remember very well he says, i got put in pretty early in my career at number one i had to play number one for three years we didn't have any seniors and uh, i was we had a young team and i got put in at number one and i can remember that we went down to texas i think it was tcu yeah he was he said we we go up and I get to play number one for my first time and I'm excited about it. And he said I got torqued. I said he said it was I lost six one, six one, or six one, six two, and it wasn't that close. And he said after the match, he said we got into the van. Now he had all the guys' attention. The guy's eyes were open and listening to him like it was Roger Fetter or you know, it was tremendous. They were listening to him, and he says, we got into the van, and we were riding back to the hotel. We were, we we're staying over pretty close to Dallas, so it was about a 30 to 45-minute drive. He said, now, we got into the van, and I sat in the back, and I didn't want to be around anybody. But he said, my emotions went from, number one, he said, I wanted to deny it first, you know, that, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, then he said, I got mad. He said. Then I got mad. I was frustrated. And then I, he said, I was embarrassed. Then I went through embarrassment. Like, my God, I just got torqued. I maybe I'm not good enough. And he said the doubt came in. The doubt monster came in. And uh, that doubt monster came in. You know, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I. Didn't. Then he says I had to go through this whole process before I got back to the hotel of analyzing. You know what? Golly, I didn't make many first serves. So I started all the points to my second serve. And, you know what? I didn't get enough second serve returns in the court on his. I tried to do too much with my second serve and you know what? I was I was pressing so my transition shots. By the way, if you're an underdog, that's where you lose always. It's not the grinding points or the first exchange. Usually it's your transitions. It's usually your first passes and it's usually your, your it's usually the simple Balls that you have to make in transition, the second serve return, uh, first passing shot, first volleys, and all these things. He said, you know, I I overhit my transition shots. And then he said, and really there was only a five. And he he said he went through this whole thing. And he said, the point is, guys, if I'd had a cell phone out and I'd started looking at cell phone, it could have been just a Snapchat, whatever they call those things. Facebook or a message or a text from somebody it would have diluted and probably polluted the message that I needed to hear but also the message the true message of what I needed to deal with so by the time I got to the hotel he said I went back and I wrote some stuff down and I made up my mind that this is what I was going to go work on so he says you know I uh, guys We'd, I don't allow my guys to have cell phones uh, two hours before practice. They, they put them in the locker practice, but two hours before a match, he said. They put them in the locker, no cell phones on the court, and he said an hour after they play, and really I'd like an hour after they practice, no cell phones. But we don't allow cell phones after we're in the van, after a tough loss, we're riding back. He said I'll let the guys hurt and I'll let the guys – Go through the whole process, and we talked about this before. And, and Coach Randy Blumadal my last program, folks, was fantastic, but he he talked a lot about how the cell phones deaden deaden the um, the hunger the hunger of what what you actually need. And and there's so many blessings in the self. There's so many curses. And but the point is. Good, bad, painful or not painful, up, down, kicked around, or go our emotions. It doesn't matter. The cell phone deadens this, and we don't get the messages. So that, that would be a fantastic thing to do if you're a player. And as a parent, don't allow your children to have cell phones in the point of place of competition. Now, they'll be frustrated. They won't like it. But the, you know what? It, it's If you want to learn from them, from the real the real lessons of sport, you've got to translate what's going on and what's not. Now, many times I've brought up the fact that the cell phones are said to hijack the dopamine faucet of the brain. They hijack the dopamine faucet of the brain, the great feeling that we should have from hitting a tennis ball, through training, through Conversing with a friend Who's so spending time with loved ones all Through music Through anything It's dumbed down by the dopamine Hijacking By these cell phones And uh, so let me, let me tell you a quick story here And I want to get on with a few others But a quick story was So last week There were a few tough things That I had to go over with my kids Because of course You know, they don't, your children have to act like they're not listening. They listen, but they have to act like they're not listening. Always remember that. But, again, uh, familiarity breeds contempt a little bit. There's some loaded language, but that's true. Uh, They've heard it, and a lot of times maybe the best messages need to come from different coaches or something like that. But, however, these messages are important. As parents, we give them to our children over and over and over again. So, Last week, I was asking my children, I said, guys, why do you think we homeschool? And I've got a 14-, 12-, and 10-year-old, and uh, I think the 12-year-old said, uh, Papa, uh, you want us to learn the right thing? Well, I don't know, maybe. And then uh, I think my daughter said something like, "Uh, we're allowed to go deeper into subjects and maybe just brush some. No, that's part of it. Finally, the real answer is, you know why we homeschool, guys. In 1980, I was in the National Teachers Conference. I've said this very often. The great Clarence Mabry, who I looked up to so much as a young coach, Clarence Mabry, Trinity University was speaking, and I've given this illustration or this this story in several occasions. I, this was 1980, folks, this is 38 years ago, 38 years ago, someone in the audience reached, up and, reached a hand up and said, Coach Mabry, what is the most important quality of a championship tennis player? And, of course, everybody thought, oh, big forehand, big serve, big fitness, this or that, there's some magic bullet. He said, most definitely it is the hunger of an inquisitive mind. So when I talked to my children the other night, I said, guys, it's not about facts. It's not about this, this is right, this might work. Look, on the Internet it says this about it. And facts are information that helps streamline wisdom sometimes. It is about you, you as children, developing the hunger of an inquisitive mind. You've got to have a, a, a type of mentality that searches for the answers. Just like many of our teachers, the the, convert, the opposite of what many of our teachers do here in the United States, in acting like waiters and restaurants, bringing the answers, our parents, our coaches, bringing the right message, the message we want to the children. In some cultures, and they mentioned this, that in Japan, I think it, they said, often children are given wrong answers on tests and things to confuse them and they make them go back and do it again and do it again and do it again. Did you in your old days, if you had something wrong on your paper, it came back to you again and again and again. And, um, and, and and we made the children do it until they learned it until they got it right. And, um, but more than that, the hunger of an inquisitive mind is how the dopamine rush happens, and and uh, when they discover what the real answer is, and they hunger for it, that's when they get excited of the from the accomplishment from the accomplishment. Uh, easy to pick up is easy to put down because the children are not vested. Now, a quip a saying. A simple uh, simple saying uh, like you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life and has very little to do with the winner or loss. Okay, that's nice. Um, you know, power, thrill, speed, kill. Okay, those are nice. Those are nice to remember. And stories, stories are better. Stories are better. But when the children hunger, hunger for the messages and hunger for that tough, tough, it's a tough, tough problem solved. They will remember it longer. Now, this is why participation trophies, one of the many reasons, participation trophies are so, so dangerous that when they, when your youngster gets something that they haven't worked for hard enough, a participation trophy just to soothe their self-esteem or something, they really never develop the hunger nor do they get the feeling that is the real dopamine rush and the feeling of success that that matters the most. So I want to talk to you about a few of these stories. Uh, I'll be right back on American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. We'll be right back. Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena, from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis. And over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at chuckcreasy.net. That's chuckcreasy.net. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. And, folks, 43 summers of tennis camps, this will be the last one. See my camps in Sumter, South Carolina, and Cookville, Tennessee. Folks, I'm going to do full-time speaking, consulting, and playing out and writing and giving time to my children after this summer session. Go to chuckcreasy.net. To sign up for my camps this summer Total tennis training For the 43rd and last year At chuckcreasy.net American Tennis every Wednesday at noon and Folks um, we will continue American Tennis and believe it or not Come June we will start our sixth Year, sixth year of uh, Broadcasting on um, The Yellow Ball Network And thank you Coach J.P. Weber For uh, continuing The Yellow Ball Network and, and We're talking here this, today and I want to get Right to a few of the loaded language Stories but I, I wanted to Sum this up and telling you look Folks loaded language Helps kids remember It's not about facts If you just give them facts Off the internet and give them stuff They It'll come and go in one ear and out the other Uh, The message won't be there So the Stories are are one of the Best ways of uh, Conveying something The parables, the stories Whenever a story can be told with something, and if it can be told by someone who's actually achieved some things, it's, it's someone that the youngsters look up to, it is remembered for a long, long time. Now, the best way to learn, though, the best is the hard road of struggling and failing, struggling and fail a little better, stra- struggling and get better, and then finally you struggle and succeed but hard to pick up becomes hard to put down once the children have something hard to work on and to accomplish. i got a little quick story, but my daughter, okay, my daughter who's 10 years old, she picked a tough, tough piano recital this time for the spring concert with her piano. And she picked the theme song to Pirates of the Caribbean, and it is fast and robust and it has five or six different changes of tempo and different volumes, and it brings you in, and it <clears throat> it's exciting, but it's slow and beautiful, and so many things, too, and she's 10. Oh, my golly, and I've got to say this last three weeks, I, uh, I don't know how to play a musical instrument, but I sure got excited about listening to her and trying to give her points, and my daughter listened. And then came the day of the concert and uh, getting ready for a big match. I got to tell you folks, I was as nervous for her piano recital as I was for a conference tennis match, and uh, because there was a lot and lot vested there and lot invested. So the song lasted about three minutes. She did a good job. She did very very well. I was so proud. Of course, it's it's your child, your youngster, putting it all on the line in front of people, and. Uh, the fantastic thing about it was she picked the tough one and she did it, but 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 here's the point. She came back home and she was still playing Pirates of the Caribbean. And the next day, she was still playing Pirates of the Caribbean. And I said, "You make sure you keep that song in your repertoire. She said, Papa, I had to work really, really hard for this song and, and I, I sure want to do that. And the point, point being is that when we have so many people quitting tennis and so many people not doing, yeah, growing into the game as we want and falling in love with it, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. If as leaders we try to make the game much easier than it is, I told some uh, baseball parents yesterday evening with my son's baseball practice. I said, "Look, baseball, baseball is hard, but tennis." Tennis is really, really hard. You have to fail for about a year. And then after that year, it takes five years to learn by about probably ten years to master if you're in love with it, if you do all the work you have to do. It is a tough, tough deal. So with this, loaded language helps. Stories are better. The struggle is the best way. So a couple, couple quick and very, very important stories I wanted to wanted to share with you um, one of the ones that I'm sharing quite often with young people is you, you know that I have a, a very big dislike for tweeners. Um, when I ask my players, do I ever get mad if, if, you, if you play bad or if you're not? Do I ever say you're a bad player or a bad person or anything like this? What are the things that I get upset about? One player said at first, he goes, Coach, you get upset if we don't give our best. Absolutely. Now, the second thing is the most important, more important thing, and it took three or four guys to say different answers maybe they wanted me to hear until this one guy it's going to be a senior, he said, Coach, you always get mad for small thinking. But for small thinking, we die. We never live. One of my uh, – I showed the team this fall, this spring – movie Miracle, and at the end of the movie Miracle, when the Olympic hockey team is up there, 1980 Olympic hockey team, and and uh, Herb, Herb Brooks is there, he's the coach, uh, and he was quoting, he said, my favorite time was this, when I saw all these players up, you know, and they all had suffered so much, Foreign and unknown, foreign and unknown, and I, yeah, that's right, when if we all knew what we would get out of our suffering, we would never suffer. But he said suffering for our known. But here's the point. He said, it's funny, soon after the Olympic hockey team won in 1980, he said, they started using professional athletes for the Olympics, so-called dream teams. And if you remember to quote folks, he said, funny thing is that when you use these dream teams, it seemed like there became very little to really dream about and go far. And the curse of our young people, and, the, and I want to get to the story, is the I, I absolutely detest the tweenerism that's been permeated in our society. I dislike the dumbing down of our game. Everyone knows that. I We've got these beautiful handouts we give out to parents everywhere now uh, that really tells you how damaging it is to play no ad scoring and abbreviated scoring, and they, the, people act as if the only part of tennis that really is important or even matters is just the striking of a tennis ball. Oh my golly! And they missed the boat because there's a lot of things that are a lot more fun than striking the tennis ball, especially on a concrete court with super high, uh, high intensity turbo rackets. Listen, striking the tennis ball was the most fantastic thing in the world. The dopamine, adrenaline, and endorphin rush that used to get the three drugs we used to get from the inside out, from playing the sport used to happen. If you had a wood racket maybe strung with gut with a leather grip on a red clay court or just on a clay court hitting a slice backhand is still one of the best daggone feelings you could ever have. But when – I don't want to get off on the subject, but listen, folks, from 1975 to 80, when I coached, we pretty much used wood rackets, the old wood rackets. Do you know that during that time, I would, at the end of practices every day, have five or six players going to the backboard, hitting on the backboard for 15 or 20 minutes trying to iron something out. But the minute they came out with the high-tech rackets, the big old Prince rackets, the super boron uh, fiberglass reinforced with titanium steel uh, supercharged rackets, the minute the technology made it easier to pick up, guess what? You could not force kids to go to the backboard. They go to the backboard and they get bored in 10 minutes. Everybody who used to get good antennas went to the backboard. Now, the technology is set up to make things easier. So what do we do when they make things easier? Wow, are we missing the boat because we made it easier to hit the ball now? They've taken away the the complexity and the chess of the game of tennis by dumbing it down to this silly modified scoring system of no ad, 10-point tiebreakers for the third set. Have you watched the 10-point tiebreakers in the no ad Two sets in doubles. Talking about a yawner, there is no drama. Drama, do you hear me out there, coaches? There's no drama when you have these no ad sets. Have you ever watched a baseball game and ever thought about really about the pitcher versus the batter? I've been watching a lot of baseball and I compare the foul ball. You know what a foul ball is? That is an ad point. Not realized, not converted. A foul ball is like that. The drama: will he hit? Will he strike out? Will he hit? Will he hit? Will he hit? No foul ball. The drama intensifies. No ad takes away all the drama of our sport. But we've missed the boat, and we missed the dopamine rush, and we miss the entire, the entire. The, we we dumb down the game. It's no longer an art form. It becomes simplistic and boring. It's boring. Take a high-tech racket, go on a concrete court with a crummy net, play tennis, and unless you're really into competition, the sport has lost its dopamine rush and, and, and uh, everything that we we have gotten from the game for so many years. But I really believe we missed a boat with our with our uh, with our groups like the USTA, the ITA, come on, guys. It's, it's just the, the, college tennis is dead and leaving town. It's, it's in deep trouble. The wiener syndrome is perpetuated by dumbing things down. The wimp, whiner, wiener, winner, so you've heard me tell this story. How I had my children remember it. Was a story that I was told Um, And I remember this This has been 20 years ago At a sports banquet at Clemson University There was a track athlete That came in and said You know we came back on a Sunday And the story went like this That the coach says Easy workout tomorrow and Monday We're not going to do much Just work on starts And he said by the time That we got to practice the next day The coach had said Look I changed my mind He was mad about something We're doing 16 400s today So the track athlete Who happened to be a female uh, She was a middle Distance runner I believe She said right away The players turned into four groups First group said coach I'm injured coach I gotta go Study coach I got this I don't think I can do the workout today Those and, and then She said the second group They went out to run the workout But the complaining Was so intense Did they do the workout? Yes they did it physically Did they do it mentally? No Did they do it emotionally? No And she said that that There was another group that did that She says I was in the third group Now she was in the wiener group The tweener group The group that said you know what Let's do this get it over with and get out of here She said I didn't complain I went and did the work She said, I was, I did recognize that there was a fourth group. The fourth group said, hey, guys, our chance to get in better shape. And she named the young ladies that did that. And then she said, by the way, this one is in law school at Harvard. By the way, this one did this. By the way, you might recognize this name. This person has became a great runner. And she said, it really made me realize something that when you brought a task there are four different things that you, you're the person that lays out you're the person that complains you're the person that goes halfway or you're the person that just uses the chance for an opportunity <clears throat> so of course I had to translate this to my children one time before swim meet and I just said guys there's four kinds of athletes whippies, whiners weeners, and winners and of course The wimpies were the first ones that laid out. The whiners were the ones that complained all the time. The one that she said she was, she was the tweener, the wiener, the in-between person, and then the winner. Well, that kind of story sticks, and it stays. It sticks and it stays. What about the story of the Black Door? How much mileage I've gotten over that out of the past? Wow, when was that? That was 1980. I think that was late 80s. And one of my assistant coaches told it to me, but it's the door of fear, the door of fear, the door of the the black door. And I very quickly I'll I'll just say that most players hang out at the 85th percentile uh, or the 90th percentile, and and parents parents and other coaches and sometimes administrators don't really understand what I say. You know, a lot of people just don't want to win. They say, well, everybody wants... No, they no, they don't. People want to do well enough just not to look bad. And most people do not lock their back door and go after the full deal. And I talked about a player that sort of got to a place and mysteriously backed out. He was a tough, tough kid. And my assistant coach said, sounds to me like the message of the black door. And The black door is about the Persian general cap- captures an enemy spy... And right before the firing squad they put him and they're getting ready to shoot him and the general asked the spy, Listen, one last chance to take the firing squad or the black door. And the uh, spy says, Well general, what's behind the black door? He said the general said, Well, I can't tell you, it's your choice, firing squad or black door. And of course the story goes that the spy thought, Well, boy, the Black door thing I bet there's tigers Back there I bet there's going to be A terrible death I bet that they're going to, it's going to be Something awful He said no no Let's just get this thing Over with And so he took The firing squad Then a young corporal Walks over After they carry The spy's body off And asked the general He said well general What's behind the black door And the general said Why it's freedom But no man Has ever chosen it Because people would Rather accept A death that they're comfortable with And to experience The pressure Of the unknown And I cannot tell you How many players I've gotten to the prefaces Of going into the outer Stratosphere and be Excellent in what they do and they back Out back down they'll have mysterious Injuries they'll come up With different things or reasons why They can't lock their back door And that black door has worked So many times so, so many times. The story I gave you earlier about planting the seeds at the right time, that, of course, in my books, both of my, golly, my two coaching tennis and total tennis training, my first two books, I put the story of the chicken and the egg in there, and uh, uh, that's a good story about not breaking a person, helping them break out, not assisting them when they get in a tough time not assisting them in it. I've got a good one to tell you though. I've only got time for a couple more here, but for years when I did tennis camps, we've had over 15 or 18,000 children at our tennis camps over the years, folks. But for years I've had to deal with kids who are just learning how to try their best and and kids that learn how to get confidence through doing their best, succeeding in the hot sun and learning tell some of those greatest messages ever in tennis well years ago i remember uh, before when i first started coaching my mother said something very interesting she says look always address the action don't address the person instead of telling somebody you're lazy tell you know maybe say that hey your actions aren't what you're not living up to what the kind of person you are. You're not this. Or you, you're a good person, who you're doing a wrong thing here. Instead of calling a person out, uh, calling them a name or something, she said address the action, not the person. And so at tennis camp, we came up with a mythical character called King Wimp. So about Wednesday afternoons at tennis camp, we used to get someone to dress up like a wimpy dude who was just dressed funny and funny hat and things, and he would come around and give, when I was giving a tough motivation talk, he would come around and he would he would say stuff like, kids, don't pay attention to the coach here. He doesn't know how hot it is out there. Kids, come over and sit in the sun. Kids, drink Kool-Aid. Kids, do this. And I would I'd try to throw... King Wimp out and we made a big Spectacle of it it was Just precious Hilarious great we had So many great messages We had kids That were acting wimpy They would just go nope I pushed King Wimp off my shoulder I didn't listen to King Wimp today And uh, So we we would tell this story and it worked really really well and I never I, I would so you know you've got the bad angel the good angel on her shoulder right isn't that sort of the message so I never could think King tough King non wimp King King no wimp King for the antithesis or the opposite or the opposite of King wimp so when you're tough what is what what is it so I'm in I am in Sumter, South Carolina, folks, two summers ago and we're talking about King Wimp. And I said, "I ah, King Tough and this little eleven year old kid says, Hey coach, um, how about King Can of Whoopass? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha and I thought I was going to die. The laughed the kids laughed and like I said, folks, we cannot Tell parents you learned about King Can of Whoop Ass at Kenneth's Camp. We've got to say Whoopum or something like that, but it was hilarious. So that'll be something I remember, remember always. So, what is coach? Look, coaches and parents and teachers out there, our hardest job, our hardest job by far, is to teach youngsters to dream, to dream and not be tainted by so much reality. The other day I was talking to a to a, friend, a coaching colleague, and I said, you know, in, in 1975 I could say, let's run through this wall because it's good for us. And most of the time the players go, let's go. And you just had to give them, tell them to take the hill, and they would take it. And probably 10 years later, it was like, well, why do we have to do that? Because if you do it, it will make you tougher and you'll do this and that. Okay, we'll do it. And then probably 10 years later, it was, uh, Coach, really, I I don't know. I've heard that maybe it's not the best thing to do it. And now the kids come with their own packages of what they have seen on the Internet and so many things that – Maybe better reasons are th- stories they've heard by this coach or that coach and all of the different theories. What we have really is the hardest job now ever is to let our young people dream. We do not need to give them realities always of, wow, this is going to be this hard. And guess what? If you want to do this, then you have to do this. A lot of it is their dreaming, and the beautiful thing about working with children, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's sport, whether it's academics, whether it's being an astronaut one day, is that children do dream, and when we allow them to read too many realities, and then we dilute them, pollute them, prostitute them a lot of times with those realities with the internet and with all the garbage that's out there and with the wrong messages, oh, my golly, does it get hard. It's really, really tough to do. And there is a certain age where kids get to, and it's not just the teenage years, but there's a certain age where they just will not change. And the damage in not having dreams is that it's not like one, if they don't have dreams as children, in parents you need to nurture those dreams. It doesn't mean by just giving them opportunities. You need to just say, hey, why not? Go for it figured it out You can do this Work for it on your own Let them have the dopamine rushes From the training Let them have the excitement From an achievement Let them know how hard it is to work for things Teach them that the hard goals And the ones that they search for And the dopamine Or the myelin tissue of The brain only grows If you have to struggle for things And that the hard road Is the best road When kids are learning the hard road is the best road, and failure, committed failure is much better than easy successes. Number one, committed success is going to feel the best. Number two, the second best thing, folks, is committed failure. That's a good good and a good bad. After that, a success easily earned is, hear me, folks, is worse by far. A success, a participation trophy. And all of this garbage, the sportsmanship things, the happiest loser awards. Then oh, we're trying to build the kids' confidence by giving them a trophy to take home that they didn't earn or giving them a grade or making it easier or not making them do what they're supposed to do because we back down and it's difficult. That's absolutely third. Because you know what? The, the problem with bad... Goods, bad goods become bad bads. Bad goods can never become a good bad or a good good. Never. A bad good will become a bad bad. If you want your child to fail for sure, give them things that they haven't earned. The dream, the dream, the best saying, again, that, I've only got a few minutes here A few seconds actually Diamonds versus rhinestones The world promises you Buckets of rhinestones But God gives us the chance To make one diamond With our lives The computers and the quick fixes And all those things That we get Are rhinestones They flash And they drop out quickly The lessons and the wisdoms Are hard to earn Remember, those diamonds take time and they take pressure. Folks, again, loaded language is good. Stories are better. But making and having your youngsters sweat hard and work hard for what they get is the best by far. And um, I'm here. Run me down. If you want to email me, it's chuckcreasy at gmail.com and my Look, go to my website www.chuckkriese.net. That's K R I E S E. And thank you, Yellow Ball Network, and I will be back. Made in America. Reminding you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. God bless, and we'll see you again next week on American Tennis.